Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart. And this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about a subject that is challenging for many. We're talking about challenging alcoholism, what science says, and what real people are doing to slay it. My first guest is Dr. Lori Ducharme. She is Program Director for Health Services Research at the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Oh a component of the National Institutes of Health. NIAAA is the world's largest funder of scientific research on the impact of alcohol use on human health and well-being. Dr. Ducharme manages a portfolio of research grants that aim to improve the quality and effectiveness of alcohol treatment. She was also lead developer of a new online resource called the Alcohol Treatment Navigator, which offers a strategy to help people find alcohol treatment options for themselves or those they care about. Welcome, Dr. Lori Ducharme. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Well, this is something that I am in, working in this space every day. I see clients who are challenged with uh, all sorts of substance abuse. And what I find in my own experience is that alcohol tends to be one of the more trickier substances to treat. You know, it, it is in terms both of treatment, but also in terms of people wanting to seek help, right? Because alcohol is so ingrained in our culture. It's so such a part of everything we do that I think some folks, you know, tend to think, well, I should just be able to handle this or this is not something I should, you know, even want to ask for help for. So it can be a bit challenging there as well. And let's talk a little bit about the signs of risky drinking, because we, many of us drink. We drink socially. We're able to handle our liquor. But there are some telltale signs that things might be going down a slippery slope. 
Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think it's important for people to look at sort of the totality of their pattern of drinking, right? So you want to look at, you know, not necessarily just what do you do on a Saturday night, but what does your week look like? And then what do sort of the cumulative effects of drinking have on you? So do you find yourself sort of drinking more than you want to? Can you not stop once you get started, right? Do you spend a lot of time drinking or being sick from drinking, you know, recovering from drinking? Have you given up on activities or other things that were important to you because you would rather spend time drinking or with friends who drink, that sort of thing? So it's it's thinking about, you know, has has alcohol reached a point where it's kind of overtaken your day-to-day life? And that's clearly a sign that, that you need some help. What about behavioral shifts? You know, we know with substance abuse that people will often slip into patterns that are lacking in integrity. There might be challenges around truth, being able to, you know, tell people what they're doing, being honest about what they're doing, maybe hiding their habits to protect their guilt, their shame, their embarrassment around the substance use. Absolutely. So, you know, when you think about, you know, am I doing something that I, you know, have concerns about being candid about? Is this something I want to tell people about? That is a cause for some self-reflection about what you're doing. I also think everything that you just mentioned also can um, and often does sort of lead into affecting how people perform their social roles, right? So um, is this affecting your ability to be responsible at work or with your family or to show up on time when people are expecting you. Um, just the basic things we sort of take for granted um, can all be undermined um, by your relationship with alcohol. And so that's another thing to think about in terms of behavior. Yeah. Uh, when I sit with clients, I often will take an informal poll, and I've done it probably thousands of times over the years. And I ask clients, when did you start experimenting with alcohol, because usually it is alcohol is the first step and then it moves on to, to other drugs. And, you know, I predict that usually I'm going to get the answer between 12 and 16. And usually that is what they say. So people learn that when they are very young and they are anxious or uncomfortable or they want to fit in and they need a social lubricant, that the alcohol is what helps, you know, smooth the mood and pave the way. And then the brain says, okay, this is my go-to as we age and we mature. And they revert back to that when they're uncomfortable. Yeah, I I think that's right. And so you see it, you know, it's starting off, you know, sort of high school-ish. And then, of course, once we hit college, then we see a whole range of behaviors around college drinking. And what's sort of remarkable to me is that many people sort of age out of it once they're out of college, right? And so they, because I think in part, you just can't sustain that level of drinking and hold down a job, et cetera. But yes, you're right. I think, you know, once you're out there sort of functioning in the real world and you need to, whether it's fit in, whether you need to sort of calm your nerves, whether um, you're, you're, you're just keyed up about something, it's too easy to sort of slip back to the comfort that alcohol used to give you in terms of your ability to fit in. And again, it's that social lubricant function makes it quite tricky for us. And it's sheer availability also makes that uh, even more challenging. Yeah, the availability and the the fashionability of it, you know, that we see in the media that if we drink the right vodka or the right beer or the right, right wine, that somehow that our life experience is going to be enhanced or better or make us happy. 
Absolutely. Very much romanticized. And yes, you could sort of understand the attraction there. Uh, if it works for them, it'll work for me. And so, it, again, very tempting and also uh, makes it, again, makes it very challenging because it's such a part of our culture. So. Yes. When we talk about contemporary alcohol treatment, it's probably not what many of us think it is. Talk about some of the options. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk to sort of the average person and we ask them, what is it you think alcohol treatment is? We learn very quickly that people don't have a good sense of what it is. And so they think it's one of two things, right? They think it's either AA or some form of mutual help group. Or on the other extreme, the other thing they see on television or in the movies is this sort of amorphous concept that they know as rehab. So they're they're really not sure what that is, but they think it involves kind of going away for weeks or months at a time and something happens there, right? So that's kind of a common conception of of what treatment is. It's one of these two things, neither of which folks sort of understand really well. And so one of the things we want to make sure people understand is there is a wide range of treatment options out there, and there's likely to be something that's a good match for you. And you don't necessarily have to put your life on hold and go away for months at a time and sort of call all this attention to yourself and what you're doing. So a couple things. So first of all, AA and other mutual help groups like Smart Recovery, and and there are several others, are really good for folks, particularly who need some additional sort of strong peer support as they are going through uh, making this life change and, and sort of removing alcohol from their life. So great groups that are out there available in person or online. They're all for free. So that's a great resource to tap into. And for some people, that's a good place to start. For other people, they need sort of more formal, more structured treatment. And AA or Smart Recovery ends up being something they do after treatment as a way of sort of extending the effects of, of time in treatment. And so when I'm talking about formal treatment, what I'm talking about is really sort of a structured program of behavioral counseling, right? And so I'm talking about that from really sort of three entities or three sort of different flavors of treatment providers, if you will, right? So there are licensed professional therapists, literally tens of thousands of them across the country. Uh, These are clinical psychologists. They're licensed clinical social workers. They're licensed professional counselors. Different states call them different things. Um, But these are folks who generally have a master's degree in counseling. Many of them have training and certification in addiction and can meet with you sort of on a one-on-one basis in their own office setting. Um, Again, not something you need to go way for, not something you need to rearrange your life around. So um, I think it's a good option for many people. We're going to go to a break in a couple of minutes, but before we do, I want to just sort of recap a little bit about what you're saying, because you're talking about what we as the consumers see, that it's either the free model where it's the, you know, peer-to-peer support, 12-step or similar kinds of programming or the fortune model, right? Where you're going away, you're being removed from your daily environment. And I love what you're sharing about options where you stay home, you stay in your life, which may or may not be the right, ultimately the right step to do, but you you don't know until you do it. But in terms of seeking counseling, I would love for you to address the stigma around this. Absolutely. So, I mean, that that is the challenge that permeates this entire field of addiction treatment, whether it's alcohol, whether it's other substances. There is a stigma around asking for help, again, with alcohol, because it's so ingrained in our culture. I think on some level, people think, I shouldn't need to ask for help around this. But also, there's some shame and stigma around other people knowing that you are getting help, other people sort of knowing that you can't handle this. That's, that's really difficult for people to 
sort of come to terms with sometimes. And so, unfortunately, that means for a number of people, they avoid going to any sort of treatment or, or peer support service at all because they have significant concerns about what other people are going to think this means for me. I think too often we look at, at addiction as some sort of moral failing and not really recognize that, no, this is a, a disease of the brain. And so that makes it hard for people to, to ask for help and for people to sort of, you know, own what it is that they're dealing with. Let's jump off of the break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about sort of the middle way and the treatment options available there. To learn more about the work of Dr. Lori Ducharme, please visit the website alcoholtreatment.niaa.nih.gov. I'm going to repeat that since it's a long um, address. It is alcoholtreatment.niaa.nih.gov. On Twitter at NIAAA News and on Facebook, National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, today we are challenging alcoholism, what science says and what real people are doing to slay it. Let's get back to the conversation with Dr. Lori Ducharme. Dr. Ducharme, prior to the break, we were talking about the types of treatment that were available. And we talked about sort of the, the free model using peer support groups to the inpatient treatment model and the middle ground, you know, seeking out um, individualized counseling on one's own. But there are more. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit about that. Sure. So I think what people may not realize is there are um, physicians who are board certified in addiction medicine. It's actually a specialty that they can be board certified in. So whether that is a primary care or a general practice physician who's board certified in addiction medicine or a psychiatrist who's board certified in addiction psychiatry, those folks are the experts on addiction. And one option for folks is seek out one of these professionals and they can work with you on 
on a comprehensive assessment, on a diagnosis, on coming up with a treatment plan, and perhaps they are not the ones who you end up seeing on a regular basis for your treatment, but you will know that you have gotten really good advice about what you need and where you should go. You can check in with them periodically. They can also prescribe medications that can help with recovery from um, alcohol use disorder. So the physicians are sort of a, an unrecognized specialty that's out there. Most folks just don't know they exist. So between therapists, between physicians, and between the, the formal structured treatment system, you know, programs, outpatient, inpatient, residential, those are the variety of options that are out there. And I think if more folks knew sort of that, that variety, they may be more willing to sort of investigate what might be a good fit for them. Talk about medically assisted treatment, because I don't think many are aware of it. Certainly when I work with clients in my own practice, they're shocked. When they learn that there are, I call them bridge medications that can uh, sure. help and also um, help with cravings. Absolutely. So there's there are currently three FDA-approved medications for uh, use in the treatment of alcohol use disorder. Um, I'll just give you the names real quickly. So those are naltrexone, acamprosate, and desulfiram. desulfiram has been around for many, many years, but um, naltrexone and acamprosate are a bit newer. And they can do exactly what you just said. They can help with craving. They can help. Um, they can help you drink less when you do drink, right? Because we know that sort of relapse and these slips are part of the recovery process. So we don't want you to to sort of slip all the way back. So they can um, help with that as well. But I think you're right. We we tend to think of them as as helpful to the process, but a process of treatment that is fundamentally grounded in behavioral therapy as well. But but for for those for whom for people who may be a good candidate and for those uh, who are willing to try them. It's important to know that they're out there and that there are, you know, physicians who can prescribe them for you. Talk about the expectations around treatment and recovery, because many people come into treatment and they have this one and done mentality and it's tricky and it's very hard for people. And oftentimes that is not the case. Yeah. Just talk a little bit about that. Sure. It, it can be very hard. It can be very challenging. It can be very discouraging, I think, in particular for families. I think I would say there's sort of three components to think about when when you're managing your expectations around recovery. So, and I'll just hit the highlights. One is that it's slower than you might think it will be. Two is that relapse is a fundamental part of this, and we can go into each of these. And, and thirdly, that recovery is fundamentally about reorganizing your life without alcohol. And so, there are different challenges at each of those stages. So, let's talk about just for a second, the fact that, you know, progress may seem slow. If you've got a loved one who's in treatment, you may feel like this is just not moving fast enough, right? So there's there's a couple of things that are important to learn. One is it may take a couple of attempts to find a treatment provider that fits or before the counseling process starts to stick, right? And that's okay. I think one thing people may forget is it takes years of drinking at a level where you reach alcohol use disorder before you before most people enter treatment. All of that sort of damage that has happened to your brain and to your body and to your behavior and how you've organized your life, you can't undo that very quickly. It didn't come on quickly and it's going to take a while to sort of reset. And so I think it's important for people to manage expectations about how quickly is this going to happen. You may be able to stop drinking fairly quickly, but then there's a whole process around changing your behavior, reorganizing your social life, reorganizing life without alcohol. And 
you also need to remember that all of that drinking has had an effect on your brain as well. And it takes a while. It takes months for your brain to start kind of making those structural repairs, if you will. So the behavior may change very quickly, but there's a lot else that has to catch up. And so it's important that people be kind to themselves, be forgiving of themselves in this process. And just to understand it's going to take a little while and that's okay. That's, you know, it, it may not happen on the first try and just keep at it because it, it, it's okay and it will get easier as you move through the process. I so appreciate you sharing it like this because many people believe they come really they come in for treatment and if they don't believe after 30 days it's going to work the family may say well how come it hasn't worked you know we 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 allowed our loved one to come here because we thought that that this program would fix them and the fix is in the practice Absolutely. And I, so I think the other thing, and this ties back to what we were talking about in terms of the different types or different settings where treatment can happen. You also want to think, and I know this can sound a little crass sometimes, but you want to think about where you're putting your money, right? So we encourage people that the most expensive option is not necessarily the best in part because it may take several attempts before this starts to stick for you. And you want to be very careful about making sure sure you sort of haven't used up all of your resources on attempt number one. And I know that can be sort of disheartening and discouraging for people to think about, oh gosh, how how many times am I going to have to do this? And so we we just caution, you want to take a measured approach to this. And that's why, you know, it's so important for me to make sure people know that there are other options available out there, one-on-one counseling, where if it's if it's not working, you can sort of, you know, try a different counselor or you can try a different option fairly quickly in the process. You can course correct as you're going through that there are these, you know, free peer support and smart recovery groups that you can make use of also. So that's partly why it's really important to understand all of those options because this is complicated stuff that's going to take a while. You're going to be in it for the long haul. And so we want you to see what all of those options are. And I want to add one more element to this or one more angle because I think it's responsible to do so. And that is that alcoholism is not just a disease that affects the person, but it's a, it's a systemic disease that affects the whole family. And more times than not, there's something in the family system that exacerbates the condition. Absolutely. And so one thing we, we tell people to look for when they are looking for a therapist or they're looking for a treatment program is to ask whether and how their family members can be involved in the process. So a therapist who is skilled at family therapy or a program that is willing to integrate family therapy into the program so that you have both time with the individual to work on their alcohol use disorder, um, but then time with the individual and their family to work on that larger dynamic. Because again, that person's going to leave treatment at some point and go home to that family. And that yeah. dynamic needs to be worked on. So it's absolutely valid for you to ask a treatment provider up front, you know, how How will my family be involved in this process? Dr. Lori Ducharme, you're going to have to come back and talk with me more. (laughs) I'm I'm begging you because we really need to get more information out to the public. So please come and hang out again and let's talk more about what to look for in recovery and go deeper into alcoholism as a disease and the things to look for with the post-acute withdrawal period, which we didn't even really touch upon. You, you, You touched it slightly. But to learn more about treatment, please visit alcoholtreatment.niaaa.nih.gov. 
Once again, that's alcoholtreatment.niaaa.nih.gov. It's a long one. On Twitter, you can connect at NIAAA News. So it's NIAAA, three A's, News. On Facebook, National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. And I want to just also emphasize that this is a component of the National Institutes of Health. My guest today has been Dr. Lori Ducharme. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, we are challenging alcoholism, what science says and what real people are doing to slay it. My next guest is Ruri Fairbanes. He's an entrepreneur, senior oil broker and co-founder of the OYNB movement. Ruri has helped over 16,000 members in 100 countries transform their lives by taking their science-backed 30, 90 and 365-day alcohol-free challenges to change people's mindsets around alcohol use. Welcome, Ruri. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Oh, so happy to have you. Let's talk a little bit about OYNB. First of all, share with our listeners what that means, because in my world, that's OYNB. 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 We're a bunch of OYNBs. Yeah, we, we, we thought once it's a bit, maybe a bit like Marmite, that once we get it to stick in people's heads, it'll never get out again. <laughs> so um, one year, OYNB stands for One Year No Beer. And it was the original um, conception from myself and another broker in the city of London. Um, you know, I've been a broker now for 11 years. And um, uh, you know, I'm from the, the islands in Scotland, always sort of been around alcohol just socially you know never never somebody who's coming home and drinking and things like that and um separately myself and this other broker we 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 went went against all odds and we decided to to drop alcohol for a while and it wasn't forever we just decided to do a you know like a 90 day challenge separately and our lives totally transformed we just we just couldn't believe it um, we couldn't believe how much um, happier and healthier and fitter and more in love with our wives and better parents and just better everything we became when we got rid of the alcohol. And so we realized we needed to do something. And, and that's what this initial concept was for for one year, no beer. 
So it really wasn't that you were struggling, your life had fallen apart, you'd hit the wall. It was really like you just, you were curious, what would it be like? Yeah, I mean, well, the reality is, uh, whilst I, I was one of the top performing brokers in, in London on a commodities desk, you know, I built my, I went into a new market, built it into the number one desk in three years, and in the city in so many jobs, and, and I thought it was just broken, but since starting One Year No Beer, and I'm hopefully there'll be a lot of nodding heads out there listening to this, but uh, it's across all industries. You know, from media people who are going down to at midday to brainstorm new ideas, the creatives to just cracking open bottles of beer and wine at work. You know, it, alcohol is absolutely the glue of of commerce still. It's, it's, it's the way industry goes. So um, for me, I was finding, and I think this is similar to many people in their lives, alcohol is like the last thing you want to blame. You know, you might be thinking, God, I, I just can't be bothered to go to the gym. You know, I feel so depressed. I'm fighting with my wife all the time. You know, I'm tired. I'm just I'm so bored with life. You know, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. I'm not really doing that startup I wanted to do all those years ago when I had energy and constantly tired. That's what people see. And they think, oh, maybe I'll change my diet or I should really go to the gym and get fitter or blah, 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 blah. But they don't think about alcohol. And so for me, you know, uh, my wife and I, we, we've, we've always had a fairly tumultuous relationship. And whilst we've had a tumultuous relationship, we've always worked on it. We've, we've done a lot of counseling together. We've done mediating and that's helped us grow as a couple. But the real game changer for me, I actually wanted to prove to her that alcohol wasn't the problem in our relationship. I wanted to prove that her anger was the problem. So I took an anger management program and on the anger management program, it said that coffee and alcohol are the two biggest instigators of anger. I never, <laughs> I never knew that. And I thought, right, okay, well, if that's the case, I'll drop them. So I dropped the two of them for 90 days. And that's when my mind was blown. Mind blown. You know, I couldn't believe it, how much I felt better. And, and for me, I've always been a, a, an entrepreneurial type. I've always been wanting to go out and set up my own businesses. Suddenly, I'd, you know, I'd spent 10 years as a broker and I'm like, God, I don't think I would have spent that much time as a broker had I not been numbing myself on a regular basis with alcohol. Uh, yeah. well, I think you bring up something really interesting. Two things. The first about the use of alcohol as a social lubricant. We're not talking about just in contemporary times. I mean, this goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, probably even longer about having communing with an alcoholic substance as a way to be more socially lubricated, to relax, to get into that creative space that you spoke about a few minutes ago, although I would argue that it's the other way around, that it, it impedes creativity and spiritual Absolutely. connection. And totally. certainly, I think, impedes true connection. Yeah, but it, it, it actually, what people are taking it for, it's exacerbating. I mean, I think about somebody very close to me, I'm not going to name right now, who's going through a very, very difficult time and is starting, you know, popping open the wine at two o'clock in the afternoon. And I just look at that now because my mindset has shifted. I've had my mindset shift. They haven't. And they think that they are escaping, getting away. But all they're doing is exacerbating the problem. And people who take it for sleep or people who take it for social anxiety, do you know it's causing your anxiety in the first place? And that's mm -hmm. what is the game changer is when you see literally the lies that you're feeding yourself about regular alcohol consumption and what it really is doing to you. And you don't, it doesn't matter. You know, I can sit here on a podcast and, and be chatting to you guys out there and you go, I oh, heard it all before. 
honestly, you can't, you, you won't know how much this is going to have an effect on your life until you try it. And that's why we created an 90 day challenge. What we discovered was in the 30 days, because I'd done 30 days before, and you can go and do dry January over here in the UK, or you can take a month off. And when you do that, you cancel all your social engagements, you hide away, you're basically socially inept during those 30 days, you learn precisely nothing. And, and then on the 31st day, you can go out and drink as much as you like for the rest of the year. And you've learned nothing. When what we do is we realized that actually the mindset shift for most people happens between about 40 days and 60 days. And that's when they get out of the cycle. They've gone to a number of events. They've rewired their brain and they have a mindset shift and they go, oh, my God, I feel amazing. I feel connected. I feel like I'm living authentic relationships. I'm going out socially and I'm actually hanging out with the people I want to hang out, behaving in a way I want to behave. And the, the change is quite dramatic. We recently uh, did some work with Sterling University, and they uncovered that about 84% of our members choose to carry on after the 90 days, which is massive. Absolutely massive. Oh, it's terrific. Let's talk a little bit about the one year no beer challenge, because this yeah. is taking the problem, even for those who don't even think it's a problem, and making it fun, because you're challenging somebody to do something differently. Exactly. So we wanted to wrap up something. We're brokers. We needed something that you could be proud of when you're standing in the pub next to other brokers and say, I'm doing this challenge. So when you come and join our challenge, we teach you how to have a mindset shift. We use positive psychology, behavioral habit change, and NLP, things like that. And each day you get 90 days of emails and they get you to think about things and do things differently on your challenge. Think of it a bit like, you know, when you go and say, I want to get fit and somebody says to you, fine, go and run around in the garden or go and pay this guy and he'll teach you how to get there in eight weeks using his exact scheme and his plan. That's what ours is. And it's not for six packs. It's for mental health and to improve your life overall. Sure, we've got people who've dramatically changed their fitness. The changes can be massive. So you get 90 days of emails and they get you to, um, let's say, book into a physical exercise. So we have people all over the world booking into Tough Mudders, um, Spartan races, Tough Vikings, or just a 5K park run, whatever it is. It's something that extends beyond your current physical ability. And that is like your, it's almost part of your excuse. It's your goal. And you do that alongside the challenge. And some people, fitness isn't their thing, although we know that exercise is the number one well-being pill out there. What they can do is book, you know, say, I want to start a podcast or I want to start my business. That is their that's their part of their excuse. And then each day you're working towards. Uh, so another classic one is a lot of people, the psychology behind taking a drink. So um, if you swap your beer for alcohol-free beer, for example, or wine for the alcohol-free wines, there's a huge array of alcohol-free alternatives coming out into the market, a massive paradigm shift happening. And you realize, sorry, that you didn't actually need the alcohol in the first place. Well, we don't need it in the first place. That's the, the, the big reveal. We're going to need to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation about One Year No Beer with its co-founder, Ruri Fairbairns. To learn more, please visit www.oneyearnobeer.com. And on Twitter, please connect up at O-Y-N-B and then UK for, for England. And then on Facebook, One Year No Beer. And when we come back, 
we'll talk more about how positive psychology links into this emotional fitness program, because that's what I see you doing, Ruri, is it's really about rebooting and, and rewiring the brain, which then helps the rest of the situation. That's exactly it. Okay, here comes the break, and we will be back, and that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We're continuing the conversation with Ruri Fairbairns about challenging addiction, what science says and what real people are doing to slay substance abuse, although he is the co-founder of OYNB Movement, which is One Year No Beer. Your organization is not really talking about addiction. It's talking about, you know, take on this challenge of, of giving up alcohol for 30, 60, 90 days and more. Take on these other elements of emotional fitness training, emotional and social intelligence. Bring in the physical training element, such as uh, signing up for a, an event, you know, that can be a, a small fun run or something much greater. And then what else happens? Yeah, absolutely. So we looked at the core elements of what will help behaviors change. I am a firm believer in what Johan Harry is working on now, what Joe Polish is working on now, what we are working on, and that is that the opposite of addiction is connection. And what we need to do is we need to facilitate more connections. So a very, very important part of the, the challenge is our community, forum, Facebook groups, meetups all over the world. So we want to get people together online. We want to get them together on video and meeting, and we want to get them together in real life. And the reason this is, when you tell somebody you're not drinking, and they still are drinking, you get met with this, what? What's wrong with you? Why are you not drinking? And that is an innate tribalism. It's something inside all of us about needing to belong to a tribe. And for as long as we've been old enough to you know, speak, we've been watching our aunties and uncles and parents and friends celebrate, commiserate, and congratulate with alcohol. It's so wired into our very being that this is how you behave. So when somebody steps away from that, we really become 
you know, it, it, we become fearful. They're leaving the tribe. We also can become aggressive. Why are they leaving the tribe? So that's that kind of reaction you get. If you are going to walk away from your previous tribe and try something new, we must give you a tribe to belong to because otherwise you'll just fall back. You'll fall back into the old way because the pool of meeting people in the pub or being with your old friends, drinking wine, whatever it is, will pull you back. So we created a tribe that's in your hand using social media. That's what's the most amazing thing about social media. And we've also got people getting together. And that helps you start to be around the people who you want to live. It's like a stepping stone. If you imagine this challenge, I give my daughter every day, or my daughters every day, these gummy multivitamins, right? <laughs> now, if we, if we were trying to give our daughters multivitamins, they'd just say, no thanks, and spit them out. I mean, I remember being tried to be fair in medicine when I was younger. It was just, no way, medicine was disgusting. But now it's masked in a yummy gummy bear. And that's what we are. We're the yummy gummy bear of addiction because we don't really talk about it. We don't really talk about the multivitamin side of things. What we talk about is that it's a yummy gummy bear. Come and do this nice challenge. Come and try it. And by the way, actually, your life is probably going to change. And the lives that have changed and the way they've changed blow me away. So I get letters, I get emails, I get you know, handwritten letters I read out to my wife in tears at night from people whose lives have been transformed from this challenge. And not just their lives. There's something incredible about this subject that when one person decides to change their relationship with alcohol, other people all look at their relationship too. And so brothers, sisters, parents, friends, they are changing their relationship with alcohol too. It's like a little viral, healthy spread. It's just so empowering. And, um, you know, the things that people are changing, we've, uh, we've got people who've got, had skin conditions dry up for years and years and years. We had Mark in Dubai who went through five years of IVF, was told that because he had low swim count, he would never get pregnant naturally. And 100 days into our challenge, they got pregnant naturally together. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, they've now had their baby and called her Amber Faith after the color of our logo. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. And there's so many stories like this. I really <laughs> want to go back to the positive psychology element because I work in addiction recovery and I, I see this every day and I see the value of helping people have a paradigm shift, helping people elevate their emotions and their well-being through training. You know, again, yep. this goes back to training and it becomes less about the why they are the way they are or how they got there or the trauma or the story and more about, well, how do you want to be? And then yes. once, you, once you identify how you want to be, how you want to show up for your life, that's when you get busy doing those things that generate more of the result that you wish to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. The positive psychology element is so we we both Andy and I fell in love with positive psychology. We just saw I, I've been in counseling since I was in primary school. I've dug around the dirt till the cows come home. And really, the true change in my life came when I started implementing a lot of these positive psychology techniques, not just techniques, because that makes it sound like it's some kind of fad. But, you know, putting that structure in place and behaving in that way and and thinking positively and harvesting happiness, you know, which is a, a, you know, it's a thing you have to cultivate and work on. That's very, very much the core of our, our model um, is getting people to work on the positive psychology. And so I think uh, be more impassioned about their lives. It's like if you want a happy life, there needs to be a buy-in. And if we are mired in our past, which um, traditional psychology definitely has huge value, but traditional psychology keeps us in the why. 
And positive yeah. psychology really shifts that again over to the how. It's, there there yeah. is a distinct difference. Absolutely agree. It's very powerful. And, and I think for many people, people firmly believe, and they're listening now, I know you guys are, and you're saying, well, happiness for me is wine night with the girls or um, beer on Friday. That's my only happiness. Right. And that's what I thought. And that's what I felt. But I promise you, it's sucking the life out of you. And you will never know unless you try a break from it. And, and I promise you, that's almost like the gauntlet. I say to people, what if? What if the guy on the podcast is right? What if what I'm saying is right? And all you need is to do a break for 90 days to find out. And it could transform your life completely. You know, I, you might not be able to fathom the idea that not going down to the pub on a Friday is going to make you happier. But in the long run, I promise you it is. Well, the what if I think is good to ask, you know, to continue to ask the what if, the what if, the what if, and then be willing to investigate. I want to talk a little bit about this concept of white knuckling it because you have people that come into early sobriety and they are hanging on for dear life. You know, yeah. there are cravings, there are withdrawal symptoms for many, and their thoughts, sometimes they're persistent and pervasive. How do you help people? through that. That's absolutely the tribe that we've built. I mean, it's quite phenomenal, um, the level of care. I think that the depth of change that an individual goes through is absolutely equal to the amount they want to give back for many, many people. And because of that, and all the way through our challenge, we talk about giving back and giving back. You know, it's absolutely in line with positive psychology. And and so when people go through this change, they then come back in and support all the people coming through. So for us, we, we without a shadow of a doubt, we're dealing with a very difficult issue. And a lot of people go through difficult times. A lot of people come on and say, well, I thought I was going to sleep better. We well, have to understand you're going to sleep worse for a little bit as you get out of this. Well, why am I feeling these withdrawal symptoms? Well, because you've been taking a drug consistently for so many years that your system is now having a shock as it processes this. It's been so used to processing alcohol through the liver first, and it's now starting to detox you properly. So they need a lot of handholding, need a lot of help, and we've got a huge support system. And that's, I think, what most people would put as the number one uh, part of our solution or our program is the support. And I think inherently going through the alcohol problem has been very, you know, unless you want to go down to AA, I think it's a very lonely journey, which people have done quietly on their own. They don't really tell their friends and they try and stay away and, and, and stop drinking. And we want to get well away from that. We want to make it very public, be very proud. And the reason being is not just in your own paradigm shift. There is a massive paradigm shift going on out there. Over the next 10 to 20 years, everyone will be forced to reconsider their relationship with alcohol. The governments are starting to crack down on it. The cost of the economy is just too much. And, you know, they're starting to bring out labeling in the UK. They're going to be putting horrible pictures of people dying on bottles soon. You know, that kind of thing is happening. They are going to create the same paradigm shift that happened to cigarettes. And so I say to people, you've got a choice. You can either choose to be ahead of that paradigm shift and come and reassess your relationship with alcohol and see the positive upsides to it. Or you can be forced to change later, kicking and screaming and always miss it and always, always be sad that you were taken away from it. Well, I agree with you. And then there's also just the very simple mind shift that the, it is a continual practice that makes the permanent shift. 
and nothing can stay the same. So that one's relationship with alcohol today might not necessarily be the same in five or 10 years from now. And as life uh, progresses and stressors continue, it's easy to see how many people, not everybody, but many people get into trouble years later. We're almost out of time. And I want to uh, mention two more things. First is that you have a book coming out at the end of 2017, the 28-Day Alcohol-Free Challenge. So I want people to be on the lookout for that. I congratulate you on that. And the other is the notion of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. So what that means is somebody who has decided to become abstinent, no longer wants to use alcohol, it may take upwards of two years for the brain to fully heal and the body to fully heal to where there may no longer be physical symptoms or cravings. And most people don't understand that. Wow. I didn't know it would take up to two years, but I imagine, I mean, for me, I did two years completely alcohol-free, and then I chose to go back to a very, I call it total control, but I drink on very special and random occasions, you know, like a get-together. I'm in that very fortunate position where I could have a sip and choose not to carry on. You know, I've totally transformed my relationship with alcohol. Yeah. It, for me, it took those it took those two years. It took going to, uh, you know, we mentioned this earlier, but people often say, I'm worried about starting this challenge because I've got a wedding coming up or I've got this event or, or work, et cetera. And the excuses that you shouldn't do it are actually the reasons why you should do it because they make your challenge bigger. They make the the huge reward that you get, you know, the social currency you get from achieving a major life event like a wedding, alcohol free and saying to people, oh, I went to that. I did New Year alcohol free. And people go, what? Really? And it makes you feel empowered. It makes you feel like you've got willpower. It literally is like an achievement, like climbing Everest. And people are very, very surprised. Absolutely. I just think it's important to let people know and, and empower them with knowledge that, you know, it takes a while for the body to heal. You didn't yeah. you didn't get to the point of accepting the challenge. You know, the mission was not accepted after only one year or two years of drinking. There was a, a longer career. Yeah. So it's it's helpful to let people know that it's normal, because when you normalize someone's experiences, they have less white knuckling. I think that was Absolutely. circling back to that. Um, we're out of time. Nice. So come back and hang out with me. And, and I'd love let's, to talk more. Once again, the website is www.oneyearnobeer.com. On Twitter at O-Y-N-B-U-K, UK being for England. And on Facebook, One Year No Beer. Hook up with Ruri Fairburns and his colleagues at the O-Y-N-B movement. Thank you, Ruri. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks, guys. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Gaiman and my wonderful guest today, Dr. Lori Ducharme in Rari Fairburns, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of Consciously Curated Talk Radio from the Heart. 
keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.